Well, we have started into our summer sermon series on the passages in the New Testament that are referred to as the one another passages. Uh, People over the years have discovered there are about 60 passages of scripture that are commands in the New Testament that use this word one another. It's actually two in English, but one in Greek. Uh, And they, uh, they are worthy of a study because they really capture the essence of what God's call is on us as we seek to do life together. And I asked Scott to arrange these uh, in kind of a curve so that we get the idea uh, that I think is a really important one for us and it relates to what we're doing this summer, that as we move forward in learning how to love one another, uh, we actually not only move further, but we also begin to drop deeper that each of these, uh, you'll discover, I think we'll discover over the course of the summer, each of these, the, these steps takes us to a deeper place with one another and to community together as a family of faith. So uh, during this summer, as we have our linger longer emphasis, part of which is focusing on our fellowship, on our uh, relationships together as a body of Christ, I hope that you'll see this as a chance for us to kind of live into this and to live this out together. Well, this morning we are looking at a passage of scripture that has to do with what it means for us to honor one another. Really, I think this is kind of the pivotal turn that happens as soon as we just see that there's another person in the room and greet and acknowledge them. And everything else that happens, I'm convinced, in any relationships we will ever have, pivot on our ability to honor the person that we are interacting with. I don't know about you, but my sense is that, in, that our culture is learning even a basic sense of how to relate to one another in honoring ways. What does it look like to relate in a way that shows a, a regard for a person, a value that we see in them, that, that even communicates common courtesy? Well, earlier this week, I was uh, driving into work, and as I was coming across the 52 bridge, a funeral procession came around the corner coming the other direction, coming towards me. And it's not the law that you need to pull over, but it's kind of a societal custom, a way that we honor the the life of the person who's died, that we pull over to the side of the road and we wait until the procession has gone past. Well, I did that right in the middle of the 52 bridge. I pulled over, but the guy in the car uh, behind me had different thoughts. He kept, he kept, Um, inching closer and closer to me and kind of revving his engine like, what in the world are you doing parked in the middle of the bridge? And so I had my sunroof open and I just pointed over to the funeral procession, kind of like, you may not have seen that this is happening. This explains this. Well, uh, the guy immediately revved up his engine, swerved around me, threaded right between the procession and me. And on his way by, he yelled, it's just a dead person. And then as a punctuation point to his comment, he waved goodbye to me with a one-finger salute. (laughs) Well, curious about the intended meaning of that gesture, because we live in a digital age and it was a digital gesture, I decided to read a Wikipedia article about it. Yes, there is one. And this is one of the lines that it says. This is very informative. It says, in automobile driving culture, giving the finger to a fellow motorist communicates displeasure at another person's reckless driving habits, 
and or their disregard for common courtesy. I guess that explains everything. Wow, is right. Well, before we go on, I think that provides a pretty good context for me to introduce a book that I want to encourage all of us as a church family to read this summer. This book is called A Gentle Answer by Scott Sauls. It is a wonderful uh, biblical exploration of how we respond in our culture when we are met with less of a warm and less than a warm and welcoming uh, response. And I think uh, it's wonderfully written and can really help uh, continue the work that God is doing us in teaching us how to be a church known more for its love than for anything else. A Gentle Answer by Scott Sauls. There'll be more information about that in our e-news in the weeks to come. Well, here is the obvious challenge that we face when it comes to talking about how we honor others. Us. The self. We inevitably, every single one of us as human beings, start with a concern about ourselves that will always be greater than any concern we have for anybody else apart from God's gracious work in our lives. Apart from the gracious intervention of Jesus and the work of the Spirit, our default every time, our reflexive starting point is always with ourselves, isn't it? Theologia Germanica is a wonderful book with a clunky title that was written by an unknown monk from Frankfurt, Germany in about 1350. And it is filled with some timeless insight into human nature. He writes, all of us are bent upon ourselves. All who do not have the true light are bent upon themselves and think much of themselves and seek to propose their own ends in all things. And whatever is most pleasant and convenient to themselves, they hold to be best. 650 years later, another uh, person who um, has insight into human nature came along and made this same observation or a similar one in a slightly more entertaining way. Here is... To the Jordan's delight, Brian Regan talking about this same theme. Quiet off stage, a lot of people don't realize that. I was at a dinner party recently, a bunch of people that I don't know, one guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right, and then I, and then myself, right, me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I, because I was about myself, and then me, 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 me. the me monster. So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. (laughs) Didn't mean to waste everybody's time (laughs) telling my nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. He's back with tales of adventure. story ain't nothing. Maybe it wasn't, because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled, and I learned a lesson. Don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story, because you ain't going nowhere. Before wisdom teeth, people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass. Halt! Halt with your two wisdom tooth tail! You will never complete one, trust me. 
I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um, I had two, I had four pulled. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, five. No, nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots were wrapped around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled them out with pliers. I was eating corn in the cob that afternoon. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it, and I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as... Okay, yeah, you, me! You, me! You see the difference? You see, you see that? Now I do. What is it about the human condition? People get something out of that. Great and profound, isn't it? What is it about the human condition that people get something out of that? But for the grace of God, that's all of us. We all begin bent in upon the self. Just the simple act of getting me out of the center, isn't that the heart of all Christian love? And where is the crowbar that is big enough to accomplish that? Isn't it the cross on which Jesus died? The person of Jesus displaces us from the center of the universe, the place that he rightly occupies. And then the life of Jesus within us reorients us, pivoting our gaze around, opening us up, turning us out toward God and out toward others instead of bent in upon ourselves. The author of Theologica Germanica goes on. He says, the more the self, the I, the me, the mind, that is self-seeking and selfishness diminish in a man, the more does God's I, that is God's himself, increase in him. For in the true light and true love of God, there neither is nor can remain any I, me, mine, and the like. And therefore, where this light is, the man's end and aim is not me, but only the one. In such a man, all thought of self, all self-seeking, all self-will, and what comes with it will be surrendered and given over to God. The self displaced from the center and our being bent back out, reoriented outward toward God and toward others. That is the essence of the call that God puts before us as we are called to live a life of love. There are a number of one another passages that describe this foundational two-part movement that every follower of Christ experiences more and more by the Spirit of God. And each one of these passages either implies or it spells out that default starting place for all of us, of us at the center, bent in upon ourselves, occupying the middle of all things in self-absorption and self-concern. And each of these passages then hold before us this new 
other-centered way of life into which we are, are invited and called as followers of the one who lived for us and died for us and whose life is at work in us now. So let me just highlight three of the 10 or so passages that get at the same idea of what it means for us to honor one another in our interactions with each other. The first of them is Romans chapter 12, verse 10, on another, honor one another above yourselves. It implies the default position, expecting to be thought of or considered first, waiting or wanting to be valued and regarded above others. And then the words give us the reorientation that Jesus brings, valuing others as bearing the image of God and deserving of our honor just for that reason alone, considering the other more worthy of honor than we do ourselves. Literally, the passage says, lead out in honoring one another. Take the initiative, set the example, lead the way. Be first in putting others first. Honor one another above yourselves. A second, like it? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. The members, should have the, same, the members of the body should have the same care for one another. The default, which is spelled out in the verses leading into this chapter, are self-importance, thinking we are more important than other parts of the body, and self-concern, elevating our own needs above the needs of other people. Considering some parts of the body, including us, as more important or indispensable than other parts of the body, and that leading subtly to dividing up the body into with us and against us better and worse factions within the church that Paul says can cause tears in the very fabric of the church. And the reorientation that we see in this passage, seeing every part of the body as vital to every other part of the body. Being concerned not with our own well-being first, but with the health of the whole body first. And what serves that? And with the, the health of every part of the body equally. Letting ourselves be moved by the need and the struggles of others and being willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of those. Having a deference towards one another that helps preserve the unity of the body, taking our focus off of ourselves and, and our needs and our cause and focusing our concern on the needs and concerns of others. The members of the body should have the same care for one another. And then just one other one, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. The default of this one is spelled out in the passages that come right after this. They talk about how pride is an offense to the heart of God. And that pride can find its expression in different ways. Whether we lead or follow, it can find expression in thinking about ourselves and insisting that things go our way. The reorientation that Peter invites us into in these words and the ones surrounding us, if we lead, or surrounding this, if we lead, leading in a way that doesn't impose authority in a heavy-handed way, if we follow, following in a way that doesn't resist authority. And all of us adorning ourselves in humility, not dressing ourselves in self-importance, but instead putting on the apron of a slave, which is what this word literally means, and putting others first. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All right, so what is this honoring of one another going to look like in really practical terms? A number of you do this beautifully, and your lives are really the answer to that question in stunning ways. I had a wonderful conversation with someone earlier this week. Uh, 
who's a part of the Covenant family. And as we were talking, as it happens, I didn't raise it, but our conversation went to what it means for us to relate with others with humility. And as this man was reflecting on what that meant for him, his eyes did that kind of thing that um, his often do and that ours can do in conversation, where you kind of look off in the distance, trying to bring in focus an idea that's forming and has been forming in your thought. And then, and then he looked at me and he said something that really struck me and it has stayed with me. He said, one of the things that I'm learning is that humility is initiative. Humility is a way of intentionally stepping out of my self-absorption and toward the other person, into the life of the other person, into their struggles and into their needs and into their interests. So what does that look like? You and I walk into the same space at the same time. What will it look like if I honor you above myself? I think there are lots of ways that we could answer that, but I'd like to suggest three really, really practical ways for us to do this. First of all, I honor you above myself if I give you the gift of my time. In order for us to honor one another above ourselves, we have to lay down our self-important schedules, our busyness, our agendas, our to-do lists that constantly drive us on. And we have to be open to God interrupting us with his divine appointments. Yesterday, I spent uh, some time, I had a window that I had carefully planned, some time to, to get outside and work on the yard. And as I walked down the driveway with my edger in my hand, uh, a neighbor of ours who's been going through some incredibly challenging things came around from behind her house at the same time. I stopped and we stood talking driveway to driveway for about 15 minutes, mostly about things that she was working on in her house and around it. And while we were talking, I thought, I really should ask how she's doing. But that is going to be another half-hour conversation. And my time is short, and my to-do list is long, and I only have this much time. So I didn't ask. I kept the conversation at sort of meaningful, but not deep, middle level. And then eventually we said goodbye and turned back to the projects that we were working on. And the moment I turned back to edging, I felt God's conviction. And I just prayed right then, God, would you just give me an opportunity to do a do-over? Would you give me a chance to to just uh, be able to explore with her how she's doing? Well, not five minutes had gone by when she came back around from behind her house, walked across the street, walked right up to me and said, hey, I've been meaning to ask you, tell me, how is Sharon doing with her back issues? Um, and I've, I've really been thinking about her and her mom, how's, the, how's it gone with her moving in and living with you guys? Is she feeling settled in? And on the inside of me, I was just laughing. I thought, I love the irony of God. You know, which of us is the follower of Christ in this picture? And which of us is taking the initiative to pursue to show honor, to show value, to find out what's going on in the other person's heart. I loved it. And then I, it was just a natural turn for me to be able to say, you know, I've really been meaning to ask you, how, how are you doing? And that led to what was probably another half-hour conversation. But that was fine because God had me at that point, having invited him to lead the conversation that way, I was ready for it to take what time God wanted it to take. And we ended up having a really substantive conversation that moved into talking about some spiritual things in a really meaningful way. 
So I honor you above myself when I give you the gift of my time. Secondly, I honor you above myself when I give you the gift of my full attention. You, you know what it feels like when you are talking with someone who is really with you. They not only seem like they don't have anything else that they need to be getting to, but they also communicate that there's no one else that they would rather be with in that moment. Eye contact, as you know, is a huge part of how we communicate that full presence and attention to another person. Every one of us knows what it feels like when we are talking with someone, maybe we're sharing something that's meaningful to us, and that person's eyes begin to wander over our shoulders to others who are in the room, and suddenly we feel like kind of the Brian Regan thing, okay, I guess somebody else is more important in this moment. Or what happens when we're sharing something and somebody uh, glances away from us at their phone? On Tuesday, Brentley and Rob and I were out on the portico having a meeting, uh, enjoying that wonderful new space. And uh, Rob was talking, or Brentley, I don't remember which one, which is part of the point of the story. And suddenly I pulled out my phone and I pointed it up and I took a picture of those, those really cool crown sails and a cloud that was going by behind them. And Rob looked around and he said, he said, what happened? I thought maybe an eagle was flying over or something. And I said, oh, man, I am so sorry. That was so rude. It just, was, it just looked cool. And I just wanted to take a picture of it. Forgive me. My friend and my mentor, Leighton Ford, says, love is focused attention. Love is focused attention. And one of the biggest thieves of our full attention, as you know well, lives in our pockets. Research shows that even if my phone is turned off, even if I've turned it face down, even if I have stuck it in my pocket or in my purse, which I don't happen to carry, it divides our attention and it makes it harder for us to concentrate. Our phones have to be completely intentionally put outside of the room in order for them to not have that pull on our attention. A University of Texas study determined that the reason, and I think this is so fascinating, the reason for this is that the place that the emotional place that smartphones occupy in our lives is what they call a privileged attentional space, similar to the sound of our own names. So imagine right after the service, you are having a conversation with someone and someone just one pew over is talking about you and they keep saying your name over and over and over. And you know how you're, you're kind of present and you're doing this on the inside of you the whole time trying to hear what they're saying while you're trying to listen over here. The researchers say that's what happens all the time with us when we have our phones with us. That explains a lot, doesn't it? I found it ironic and telling that while I was doing research on my computer on how phones distract our attention, my phone buzzed, and I didn't even finish the sentence I was reading. I just turned, flipped it over, and looked to see who the text was from. Maggie Jackson wrote a book called Distracted about our culture's struggle to pay full attention. And in it, and I've shared this uh, before because I think it's so profound, she shares this really insightful comment made by a fellow participant with her on a retreat that she was on. This person said this, if a person leaps in and sacrifices his life, you leap in and save a baby and then you die, 
you've given your whole life in one piece. And that's a wonderful sacrifice. Greater love hath no man than he who lays down his life for another. Jesus, right? So that's pretty good. But when we give another person our attention, we are giving away that portion of our life. We don't get it back. We are giving our attention to what seems worthy of our life from moment to moment. Attention. The cultivation of attention is absolutely core. I honor you above myself when I give you the gift of my full attention. And then finally, I honor you above myself when I give you the gift of thoughtful questions and then carefully listen to your answers. I remember a couple of years ago when a member of my family, uh, who will remain unnamed, asked, how was your weekend? And as I began to answer, he looked down at his cell phone and began to read a text. And when he looked back up and I was still talking, his face was a blank of distraction. Like he'd woken up in the middle of our conversation and wondered where in the world he was and how he'd gotten there. He hadn't heard a word that I have said, that I'd said. We have all had that done to us, and we have all done that to one another. It is a rare thing these days to meet with someone like Sharon Henderson or Andrew Patton and many others of you who know how to sustain focus on one person, to show interest and to ask good questions and to listen carefully as those are answered and then to follow those up with more questions. It is an art that we would do well to cultivate as God leads us in learning what it means for us to be a church that is known more for its love than for anything else. Because it is one of the very best ways that we can honor others. Who doesn't want to be listened to? One key to honoring a person with our questions is to ask what are known as open-ended questions. Those are questions that can't be answered with a single word or a phrase. Hey, it's been a long time. Yep. Doing well? Yep. Good weekend? Yep. Busy weekend coming up? Yep. Hey, got to run. Great seeing you. Yep. (laughs) Open-ended questions are like essay questions instead of true-false questions. Tell me about, or how long have you, or when did you first, or why do you suppose? Those are the kinds of questions that open up the other person's heart and let them know that you really want to hear what matters to them. Another key to honoring a person with our questions is to let the conversation stay over with that other person. All of us are tempted, a la Brian Regan, to ask one question and then have the conversation turn right back to ourselves. How was your vacation? Oh, it was great. We got a chance to go to Rocky Mountain National Park and I, you went to Rocky National Park? So did I, isn't that a great place? We, we camped at this place one time as a family called Glacier Bay or Glacier Basin. I don't remember exactly what it was called. And we got to see the beaver out at night and there was this one park ranger who was, and on and on and on, conversation turning right back in ourselves. You, 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 me, you, me. One more great way to honor one another through our questions is to ask thoughtful follow-up questions. This is how we really let a person know that what they are sharing, who they are, matters to us. Practice curiosity. What's something that that other person is saying that is sparking curiosity in you? Don't think about what you're going to say next. Just be so present with them that you get caught up in what they're sharing and want to know more about it and then ask them a question about that. I was really intrigued when you said this. Tell me more about that. 
Well, in a few minutes, our service is going to end, and I hope that you will take a risk with us. I hope that you will make it a point to linger and to interact with one another. Just grab someone sitting near you, introduce yourself, wander together outside. I think there's a coffee truck that's going to be out there and grab some coffee and have a conversation together. Strike up a conversation by starting with a good open-ended question. And there are some that we have just scattered on the the, uh, seats around you. If it's helpful for you to have a little cue card, that's fine. We all need to learn how to do this and these might be helpful prompters. So uh, here are three questions you might think about asking or something like this. What was your past week like? What's something that you hope to do this summer? And when you have some free time, what do you like to do? And then when that person answers, don't think about how you're going to answer the same question. Just practice curiosity. Be attentive and ask a follow-up question. What better way to show that you are honoring that person? So I already honor you above myself when I give you the gift of thoughtful questions and then carefully listen to your answers. So how has God been inviting you to turn out towards others this morning? To engage in practices that really convey honor and value to the person you're interacting with. The gift of time, the gift of attention, the gift of questions, eye contact, listening, follow-up. Which one of those is one that God would have you work on this week in your interactions with one another? As you ponder that, I just want to invite Glenn and Margot Balsas to come up and share with us some of the ways that they have been seeking to live out a life of love with their neighbors. A number of you are seeking to be intentional in this way, and I'm going to ask them if they would come and share some of what they're trying to do and some of what they're learning. Well, unlike many of the people in our neighborhood who speak multiple languages, I only speak English, which means that I often feel uncomfortable and insecure about being able to pronounce their names because they're not like rolling naturally off my tongue. But Psalm 67, one and two, God has blessed me and uh, made his face shine on me so that his way may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. So Glenn and I have lived in our neighborhood for 10 years and one of the things I love is that there are so many cultures and nations represented on our street. And I do a lot of walking, and when I see a neighbor, and it seems appropriate, I ask for their name, and I then follow up with saying, you know, I'm not going to get this pronunciation right. Could you spell that for me? And I try it out a few times. And then when I get back to our house, I write it down, and I look for an opportunity on my next walk to see them and to greet them by name. Just a simple way that even though I may feel awkward doing it, It's a way to show them honor and to let a beginning step to let God's love being known in our neighborhood. Morgan and I were both motivated by the examples of people within covenant to reach out and demonstrate Jesus' love to others. So we started praying, Lord, what would you have us to do with the people around us to demonstrate your love? Our next door neighbor is an industrial engineer, and she moved here from another country and unexpectedly became a single mother. So we become like family uh, to her. And a big event in her life 
last month was becoming a U.S. citizen. So without family in the U.S. and no one to celebrate with her, Margot and I talked about what ways could we celebrate this important chapter in her life. So we asked her if we could host a dinner. And then we had invitations, and we went door to door to the neighbors saying, let's celebrate this event. And uh, people brought food, and we had dessert tables, and we rented chairs and tables so that we could be COVID uh, guideline friendly in our backyard. And we had 40 people show up uh, with kids. They created new pathways and trails through our landscaping. <laughs> But we had a great time honoring this dear, dear friend and, and neighbor. We read about Jesus' interactions with others, and they often happen around dinner tables and celebrations that become the launching places of significant ministry. So we keep praying that God would open up the doors and give us ideas for showing love to those around us. Lord, at the center of the faith, as we said at the start of the service, stands this amazing sacrifice where you, uh, at the greatest of all possible cost to yourself, laid down your life uh, as an expression of your honoring and valuing us. Lord, how would you have us live a life that reflects that same pattern? Make us, we pray, Lord, more like you.